0: Uh, so please, Phil, you know, do that for us so we can stay in touch. Uh, every now and then we send out text to let people know when their last minute changes. We send out emails generally once a month, although the pastor totally dropped the ball this month. But anyway. <laughs> okay, uh, the eve of Christmas Eve. Now that's not Christmas Eve, that's the eve of Christmas Eve. Now you're sitting there going, why is that? I'm not telling you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so... The Eve of Christmas Eve, 6 o'clock, right here. We're partnering with First Assembly and New Hope Baptist Church. Now, let me tell you guys, I'm really excited. We are, we're going to have some fun. We're going to laugh together. We're going to celebrate Christ's coming, and we're going to get ready for Christmas, okay? So if you, uh, if you can join us either here or online, we will stream the service. When we stream it, it is saved on Facebook and on YouTube, so if you can't join us, but you'd like to do a Christmas Eve gathering with your family on Thursday night, you can do that, Okay. So that's Thursday night, called Christmas Presents. We're going to have a great time. If you haven't contributed yet to the Giving Tree, we're trying to help some families out in our church. So, one, if you'd like to help, you can put you can hang something on the tree. You can make a donation to the church. Uh, if you do it by text, use the word mission so we can separate it out. You can text twenty five dollars the word mission to eight four three two one. If you're doing that, if you're online. Uh, But you can also use an envelope and and just kind of designate that. But we have about five families, is that correct, that we're trying to, to help? Okay, good, I got a thumbs up, so whenever I get a thumbs up. Maybe with these masks, thumbs up would be good if I get a point just right. You could just do that there today, all right? But anyway, we're trying to help out five families. And if you do know of a family that's in need, and guys, let me tell you, this year people have like some real needs. We're not just talking presents for the kids, but bills paid, food on the table, that kind of stuff. And uh, so if you want to help us out, we'd really appreciate it. The giving trees in the back, anything you can do to help there would be great. Okay, so today we're going to drop into our series, How Sweet the Sound, and we're going to look at the the uh, carol, Old Little Town of Bethlehem, which we just sang a little bit of. And I'd like to tell you this, the uh, the story behind the carol a little bit. And it's, um, it's kind of interesting. It was written by Phillips Brooks, who was an Episcopalian priest uh, in New York and later in Boston. And in 1865, anybody remember 1865? Anybody? No? I, didn't, I, didn't, I was just checking. You never know. Never know. I mean, all you guys look so young anyway. But in 1865, he took uh, a Christmas tour in, in, in Jerusalem, and he rode from horseback from the city of Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And as he was doing that, on, on Christmas Eve, by the way, he was going through the fields that are supposed to be the fields where the shepherds saw the angels that night. And so he, he, went, he took that journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. He attended the Christmas Eve service there in Bethlehem. There's a, an ancient uh, basilica that's built there on what's uh, traditionally considered the site of the, the nativity. And uh, he attended a service from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m., a five-hour Christmas Eve service. So maybe one year we'll do that. <laughs> the worship team said no. <laughs> five-hour Christmas Eve service. So when he came back from that, it was a couple years later, he, he penned the poem that became the words to this carol. Now, this is my favorite part of the story. Um, he, he brought that home wrote the poem, and then two weeks before Christmas of 1868, he handed the poem to his worship leader, (laughs) said, I need a tune for this by next Sunday. (laughs) And Louis Redner was the church organist, and he he thought on it all week and had nothing. A Saturday before they were supposed to to rehearse this tune, the pastor got a hold of him and said, okay, have you got the tune ready? And he says, no, I don't have anything. Saturday night he had a Bible study and he went to bed thinking on it and woke up in the middle of the night and wrote the melody to O Little Town of Bethlehem and then on the way to church the next morning finished out the Harmony. He wrote that and in his own words he said, we did not think that that poem set to that music would live past 1868, which was the year that they did it. But look at there, God took a simple poem a rushed melody, and turned it into a carol that has impacted people for, for over a hundred years. Isn't that amazing? How God can take the simplest things and turn them, even sometimes rushed things, and turn them into things that bless people. And to me, I, I think it's just indicative of the hope that, uh, in, that is embedded in Christmas. And I hope that we can come out of this today with a smile on our face, with hope in our hearts, in fact, let me ask you this, and I don't know if you'd want to shout it out or something, but maybe just a little bit of audience participation. If you're online, you, maybe you could just comment. Um, you know, and, and I don't want you to get political or anything on you. You know, you might say, well, I just want all this elective stuff to be settled or whatever. But if you got a miracle for Christmas, if you got a miracle for Christmas, what would what would be the miracle you would need? I mean, without, a, you know, without being too personal or, you know, but... Shout out something. What would be a, a miracle? What? Health? Health. That's a good one. Joy. Boy, it's a tough year to be joyful, isn't it? Anyone else? What would what, be your Christmas miracle? Patience. Revival. Spiritual awakening. I like that. Passion. Oh, thanks, Don. Drummer Boy. That's Cayman, and he really loves King and Country's Drummer Boy bit, by the way. So... I think he's asking God to bring king and country here for Christmas Eve. So, that'd be a miracle. Let's pray. Father God, there are some miracles needed in the room. Patience, love, joy, passion. There are relationships that need healed. Families that need to be brought together. Anxieties that need to calm down and settle and, and vanish. Concerns that they can't do a thing about that are totally in your hand, and yet we're trying to worry them out of existence. We need a miracle. We need hope. We need what we have always needed, what we've needed since the very first Christmas. We need Jesus to show up and bring hope in our life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's read this text out of Luke. Because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem and Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth into Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. I'd like to think about Bethlehem the night that Mary and Joseph came into town. You know, I'm a, I'm a small town guy. I love small towns. Rock Springs is the biggest town I've ever lived in. And if God keeps loving me, I'll never live in a bigger one, okay? Just kidding. He might move me. You never know what he could do. But I love small towns. And I'm thinking of Bethlehem, which is a really small town. And all these people swarming in. And I'm thinking of what it's like to live small town life. I'm thinking of the concerns that we have. It's not, you know, it's not like, when I I planted a church in Otis, Colorado, the thing that really struck me was people in Otis, and the same in Rock Springs, they didn't just have one job. They'd have a job. Some of them would have two jobs. Then they would have a side hustle. They'd work on weekends. And it wouldn't just be the husband. It would be husband and wife and the children started learning to work as young as they were able. Some of those people were farmers and ranchers, and so they started working on the farm at a very young age, throwing hay, driving tractors, whatever it was. And that's life in a small town. It's not easy to make cut out a life in a smaller town. And it's the same here. I know people that have jobs, they have side jobs, they have extra jobs, they have side businesses. And so I'm thinking of Bethlehem the night that Jesus came to town and everybody in town being normal, small town people living in a world that was not as affluent as the one we live in, was not as free as the one we live in. I mean, if you upset the wrong person, your entire livelihood could be lost You upset the wrong soldier, the wrong bureaucrat. Everything you work for could be taken from you, and even your ability to earn more could be lost. That's the kind of world that was going on in the city of Bethlehem. And people went to bed that night like all of us go to bed, frustrated with the day and worried about tomorrow. Trying to figure out how to scratch out a living out a life. And the idea of a pregnant woman and her husband coming into town in duress, in crisis, is the last thing on your mind. You don't know about it. They wouldn't have known about it. And they didn't want to know about it because they had enough problems of their own. You see, that's the town of Bethlehem. It's every town in America. People have Enough problems, enough darkness, enough worries that there is just no room for hope to show up. It's too dark for light to just shine. And and that's how it was in Bethlehem when this, this couple in crisis showed up. And I'd like to tell you, this couple in crisis had been in crisis since God showed up in their life. I know God showing up is something we all desire. It's something that we want. It's something that I hunger for. But I want you to know that sometimes when God shows up, he creates the crisis. And that's what happened here. This couple had a crisis. They wander into town. Probably nobody knew they were there except for the innkeeper. It would have flown totally under the radar. Except for God was like, no. My son's not showing up on planet Earth without somebody knowing. And then he sent angel choirs out into the country, out into the fields where these simple, country, ordinary shepherds are taking care of sheep. Bethlehem had a visitor. Many of them didn't know it. And in all of that, there just wasn't any room, any place for hope to show up but just because there's no place for hope doesn't stop hope just because there's no room for light to shine never stops the light from shining Do you understand that doesn't matter how dark it is it matters that there's hope or that there's light it doesn't matter how hopeless it is and it seems there's always hope that can break through and that's one thing that christmas teaches us When you least expect it, when you're buried in your ordinary, when you're drowning in your circumstances, there's this amazing, not just potential, but also possibility that God is going to show up. God has a way of showing up in crisis, folks. If we could think that way, we might get a little bit more excited about crisis. We could just think, you know what, I got a problem. And what I normally do, I don't know how you are, I'm a worrier, I I just... We, I have been worried for four months on a situation in our family. It finally resolved on Thursday, and I felt great. It actually, I felt exhausted as soon as it was over. And then I woke up the next morning working on the next thing to worry about. You do that? I'll tell you what happens when something anxious or something worrisome shows up in your life. You are now set up for a miracle. You are ready. The bigger the problem the bigger opportunity for God to show up in your life. Boy, if we could change the way we think about our problems, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be awesome? I mean, really, you have a big problem, shows up by a UPS tomorrow morning. Say, so that's really specific, Michael. I sent you all something. <laughs> Just kidding. Big problem shows up and instead of, you know, instead of just looking at the problem going, oh no, it's another terrible problem. What if we flipped that on its head and we started saying, woohoo, I got a problem. Hey, Brother Steve, I got a problem over here. He says, can I come over because I don't have any problems. I don't have a place for God to show up. I'll come over to your house. (laughs) Bethlehem, nobody was ready. There was no room and it didn't stop. God from doing a thing. You got to remember, Mary's pregnancy was a crisis pregnancy. You got to remember that. You got to remember that the first person to rejoice in the arrival of Jesus Christ on the planet of the earth was an unborn child, (laughs) John the Baptist, in Elizabeth's womb. That's amazing. There was nothing easy about what Joseph and Mary were going through. There was nothing easy about life in Bethlehem. Sometimes God calls you out of your comfort zone. Often, he puts you in those awkward, weird circumstances. He stretches you to grow. And then, here's what happens. Every time God calls you out of your comfort and puts you on a new path, the enemy starts to attack you because he knows that when God's pulling to level you up, If you do level up, you're going to give him another black eye. And so God's like, come on, come on, little child, let's go, let's go into this new adventure. And the devil's like throwing darts and trying to make you doubt and and make you worry. And and what we do when that happens is we're like, God, what are you doing to me? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's doing the same thing in you that he did in Mary and Joseph. He's setting you up to bring Jesus into your world. He's filling your circumstances with Jesus Christ who's getting ready to come forth. So I want you to think about Bethlehem and think of this simple town as we sing about it. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. We just see that, that peaceful, calming image, knowing what's really going on in the homes and the sleep and slumber of those in Bethlehem. And this couple comes to town. Bringing hope, and nobody knows about it. In crisis, and no one has time for another crisis, but it's out of crisis that God births hope. It's out of those crisis circumstances that God brings Jesus into our circumstances. So, it's an opportunity for hope. Verse 15 of Luke 2. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that's happened which the Lord had told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. So, isn't it interesting who God chose to send angels to? I've always been amazed by this. He didn't send his angels to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin council in Jerusalem, or to King Herod that was there. He didn't send the envoys of heaven to people on earth that you would think would be strong enough, powerful enough, and popular enough to give notoriety to the birth of Jesus. He didn't do that. He found these, you know, dirty, simple, ordinary shepherds, and it was to them they got the angel choir the the roughnecks and the rednecks and the country folks the ordinary people they got the angel choir not the famous people not the not the the powerful people you know god likes underdogs you know i wanted to pick a fight today i wanted to say god loves underdogs so if he rooted for the nfl he would root for the A Cowboys fan over here had something to say about that. <laughs> Sorry, Frank. <laughs> the Bible says in Corinthians, God chose, God chose, God picked the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose those things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Does that, does that give you hope? Man, I'm just a country boy from Tennessee. I'm as a small town as small town gets Um, most of my friends are just simple, ordinary folk. And I love the fact that God says, that's who I came for. That's who I'm rooting for. You know, I don't know where you're at. I, I bet there's a few black sheep in the family in the room, to use that cliche. And does it give you any comfort to know that God comes after the black sheep of the family on purpose? Those are the ones he comes after. I know there's some weird people in the room. I know a lot of you. And God likes weird people. I I think it gives him great joy to watch you live your weird little life. I know he gets a kick out of me. Sometimes I hear him laughing while I'm freaking out. (laughs) You might be a failure. You might be a hot mess. And it does not matter. Because you matter to God, and God sent a message to you right here in this little simple town of Bethlehem. said, so there's hope. There's light in the darkness. There's a God willing to intervene in your ordinary, and in your everyday, and in your mundane, and in your drudgery, and all the things you're just enduring until they go away. Be careful doing that, because you'll endure your whole life and never enjoy it. And so God sent, God, God loves outsiders, so God loves you. But what's funny about these outsiders, God sends angels to them and the outsiders who are literally outside of town, then they immediately run into town. Now, I would, have loved if, I would love to watch this on a screen. I don't want anybody waking me up in the middle of the night because I'm really grumpy and you could get shot. I'm just saying it could happen. My kids don't even wake me up anymore. <laughs> it's dangerous. But I can just see the middle of the night in Bethlehem. These angels show up, scare these shepherds to death. And now they're all excited and they're pumped because they just got to see an angel choir. And the angel choir's announcement is, hey, dudes, the, the Messiah has arrived. He's in the city of Bethlehem. And now all of a sudden in the middle of the night coming into messing up working people's sleep is these are these uh, shepherds. Now, I don't know any, well, I knew one shepherd, but but I know uh, I know roughnecks, and, and I know uh, other kinds of people who are loud and rowdy, and I can see these shepherds coming into Bethlehem. I would, I'd be willing to wager money that they didn't sneak into town. Be quiet, Joe, don't wake anybody up. No, God had just said the Messiah, I bet they were knocking on every door in town. Hey, hey, it's the Messiah here. Come on, man, wake up. We're looking for the Messiah. They're running into town, waking everybody up, trying to find the the nativity, the the Mary and Joseph and Jesus Christ. They finally come up on a a barn, but I'm just pointing out that these outsiders who were just minding their own business, trying to keep sheep from getting killed by something in the wild, now they're all in town trying to find the hope that was promised from the lips of angels. They, They left the flocks. They left that drudgery of shepherding. They left the dirtiness of shepherding and camping and sleeping out under the open sky. Left all of that for what? To find the hope that was promised. They left behind something to find something. And isn't that always how it works? Don't we always have to leave something behind to find something else? Don't we have to let go of one thing to embrace the next thing? So they they ran into town, and now they're in town and opening up all these doors, and I, it raised a question for me as I, I thought about it. I mean, how far would I go for hope? How far would I go for hope? What would I let go of in order to have hope in my life and hope in my circumstances? What would I leave behind? Is it worth time on my calendar to find hope? Is it worth... Chalking off time. It, that's really the most expensive thing in your life is time, right? You give so much of it to work and to family and to friends and to your health and to sleeping. I mean, when someone gives you their time, they're giving you the most valuable thing that they have. Would you give up time for hope? Would you? Would it be worth giving up your... That, this is a big one God has been annoying me with. God can be so annoying sometimes. He's like, would you give up your reputation for hope, your dignity? Boy, that's, a, that's something else. I mean, I see those, those shepherds running through town and making all that noise, and I don't see, I don't, there are times in life you get so excited you don't care what anybody thinks of you. Wouldn't that be great if that's how we felt about Christ in our life? If we wanted to see Christ formed in our life so completely that we no longer cared what anybody thought of us. We could let go of our our dignity and our reputation. We could say, Well, I don't want them to think I'm a Jesus freak. Why? You just want to be a miserable, ordinary person like everybody else? I just want them to think I'm miserable like they are. Don't be dense, man. What if we gave up all of that and we were willing to be misunderstood? What if we were willing to be disliked and even hated because of our hope in Jesus? I, I, I get tired. I, I do like to watch a movie or a TV series every so often. I hate to see Christianity mocked by people who have no idea what it's about. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it offends me. But at the same time... It kind of honors me, I, I, I've got to say. You can't expect a world that doesn't know Jesus to get it. And there'll be movies that'll have these parody scenes where someone will stop and pray for them and they'll point out how awkward that is. I know that's awkward. I'm about to, when I stop and pray for somebody, I'm about to connect something in the natural with somebody in the supernatural. You better believe it's weird. Bring on the weird, bring on the hope. Miracles are weird, aren't they? I mean, like Jesus shows up at Lazarus' tomb, says, Lazarus, come on out here, and dead dude walks out. That is weird, okay? But I'm telling you what, this old boy here's got some Lazarus in him that needs to come alive, and I'm betting you do too. And so what if we're willing to lay all of that down for some hope? Lay our calendars, our budgets, our language, our purpose, everything to enthrone Christ in our hearts, in our minds, in our families, in our holidays, and in our year. See, that's what hope looks like. Hope totally flips your world inside out and upside down because now you have something to live for. And I'm here to tell you, nobody else on the planet that doesn't have Jesus has anything really to live for. Living for money and possessions is not really living. That's just acquiring stuff. A safe can do that, and it's not even alive. Okay? So what would you change? How far would you go for hope? Luke 2:17. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child and all who heard the shepherd's story. We're astonished. I want to come back to that. I want to talk about the, the second part of this passage first. But I just want you to see, these shepherds did not keep their mouth shut. They got to see angels, and they got to see the Messiah, and they didn't just go back to shepherding unchanged by that. That's important. But look at Mary, verse 19. But Mary kept all these things in her heart, and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. It's one thing to know there's hope, and it's one thing to to have hope in your life. It's important that you and I do like Mary and keep these things in our heart. I love Mary. I love the, the idea of Mary. I love this simple girl who became the mother of Christ. I love God's... God's favor upon her, but my heart also breaks for Mary. I mean, she's the one with the prophecy that came from, I believe it was Simeon, who said that a sword will pierce your own heart also. Mary gave birth to Jesus, and she saw these shepherds just stumbling into that animal stall, that that barn that night. And and the Bible says she kept all this in her heart because she had a word from the Lord that created a crisis for her, but in the crisis was incredible hope. And she believed. And so these guys came in, and, and every day Mary is thinking about these things. What does that mean? Where are we going? I bet every time she went to the synagogue and they would read scriptures in the synagogue, they would sing, they would read some scriptures. I bet every time they read Isaiah... 53, which talked about the suffering servant of God, the the suffering Messiah. I bet every time they read, I bet Mary broke down. As she's sitting there with with toddler Jesus next to her. When he's 12 years old and and they lose him, that had to be a frightful day. We lost God's son. You got another one? Found him at the temple, and their twelve-year-old boy looks at them with the the seriousness and the gravity of the ancient of days in the face of a twelve-year-old and says, I had to be about dad's business. All these words she kept in her heart. And yes, her heart was broken, but out of that brokenness came the hope of the world. It's changed. But then you then you got these shepherds back to these guys. these guys, now they are witnesses to something. They have seen something. This is important for Christians to realize because this, guys, is what the Holy Spirit is in us to do and transform us into witnesses. We have seen something. So these shepherds, they go, they they hear the angels, they run into town, they wake everybody up, they find the barn, they worship Jesus Christ, they're impressed, and then they begin to tell everybody they know, dude, we heard angels sing, And, and man, we saw these incredible beings, and we saw the Messiah, and we were in this town of Bethlehem, and they began to give witness to all these things. Let me share with you this passage out of the message in 1 Corinthians one twenty-one. Since the world in all its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God, God in His wisdom took delight and using what the world considered dumb. This is the message. It's a very interesting paraphrase. Preaching of all things to bring those who trust Him into the way of salvation. You know, I know a lot of highly educated and powerful Christians. But I'm going to tell you, being a doctor or a politician or a, a government official, that doesn't make you a more powerful witness. I thank God for those people that God has saved and called and they serve in roles. I, I love some of those um, those uh, The people that that argue and debate for Christ, I think it's great. But I'm going to tell you what, it doesn't make you a better Christian to have a, a higher education. What makes you, or to have more power, what makes you an amazing Christian is to be someone who has been changed by Christ. You can have all the intelligence and all the arguments and all the debates and have an in-depth knowledge of philosophy. And if you haven't had an encounter with Christ, you can't be A witness because you haven't had any you haven't experienced anything you haven't met anything and so this is our calling as christians to be witnesses to see something something that's so significant and i'm not just talking seeing it with your natural eyes but to come to an understanding about god and about jesus christ that's so significant that it changes your heart in such a way that you begin to keep things there about him and think about him and praise him and love him and then to begin begin to be a witness of Jesus. You see, we in this room are a bunch of ordinary people. We do a lot of foolish and dumb things, which sets us up perfectly to be the tools of God's own hand, to be the, the voice of God and the representation of Jesus in our world. Man, God, God loves this world. God loves you. And he calls all of us to be witnesses. He calls all of us to preach, which means to proclaim good news. Just like you had done if your team actually did win the Super Bowl. You would, hey, my team won. That's kind of what it is to be a witness. Hey, my team wins. No way we can lose. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know how tough it is. I know that my life, what I'm going through, always seems tougher than everybody else's. To me, because I have to do it. But I know this: if you have problems, you have hope. Just by nature of the fact that you have problems, if you have no problems, there's nowhere for hope to really show up, is there? So here we are at Christmas. It's been a fun year, 2020. Woo! Yeah. And of all the bad news and all the social distancing and missing seeing faces of people that we love and missing gathering in large settings and singing loudly together, all of that stuff going on, all of these crises, all the bad news. We are set up for hope like never before. We are set up for a miracle like never before. And so, so let's, let's, instead of sitting back well, I can only have eight people over for Christmas. Well, I know how you are. You'll have 15 or 20, and you won't <laughs> tell anybody. And If your neighbor says anything about it, pity him, right? But that's not the issue. The issue is this. In all of this, we are to live expecting God to show up. I don't know how, and I don't know when. I'm not telling you is going to be a great year. is going to be our year. I have no idea. I don't even care, actually. What I care about is this. I know God's going to show up. My job is not to sit here and go, oh, God, you've got to show up fast. My, God, my job is the same. I am always waiting for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That's what Christians do. We are waiting. We, we live and. The expectation that Jesus is coming back. And one of these days he's going to crack the clouds officially and nobody's going to doubt it. But then it's going to be too late for everybody on the planet. But he can still show up in your family before he shows up for everybody he can show up in your situation your finances your marriage your kids your job he can show up but we need to live in the expectation that he's going to show up and the bigger your problems that you're facing the bigger the anxieties you have the more you're laying awake at night worrying about those things you got to realize you are just in a place that is prepared to birth hope and as someone who's had who's been a part of the birth of eight children yes it's a painful process glad she did most of the work but when birth happens it's amazing how you forget the pain so quickly it's amazing how that sorrow can be flipped in a moment to joy so instead of being afraid of the pain let's live in anticipation of the joy that let's work on our thinking let's not be afraid and let's live in anticipation of joy and let our prayer sound like this let's pray worship team come forward let our prayer sound like this father we know you're about to show up we don't know how we don't know when don't know we just don't know but God, you just show up. And there are people in this room who, who are struggling with their faith. People are losing their faith. Or they're online checking us out today. Maybe someone's online today and they're struggling with whether or not God is good. They may be blaming God for things they've suffered, for people they've lost. And, Father, in that darkness and in that hopelessness is just this, this spark of hope that you're going to show up. And I ask, Lord, that you would show up for men, women, and children in this room. That family that's at Christmas and they're dreading it because they really can't afford it, but they don't want their kids to be scarred by a, a non-Christmas and they are struggling today. Lord, would you show up for them? Would you bless them? Would you would you let someone know that's close to them that they need help? And you would would you provide it for them? Would you use our hands and feet to be a miracle for them? That marriage that's coming into marriage and they can this into Christmas and they can barely stand each other and like oh no I got to put up with you through the holidays and all the family or some of the family's coming. Would you give them hope? Would you you spark their love and patience with each other? Would you help them come together as one? And Father, the world in which we live that's just crushing people, burning out jobs, and, and just destroying economies and home finances, Lord, would you show up? Would you reveal the lies of the enemy? And would you restore what the locusts have eaten, according to the prophecy of the Old Testament. Would you restore what has been destroyed? Lord, you are the miracle worker. I pray for miracles in this room, and everybody that this this stream touches, I pray for miracles for them. In Jesus' name, amen.